The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive. Some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us this week at The Power to Create Yourself. I'm Ross Rameen, um, and we're glad to have you with us. Um, as always, um, I like to, every week, share with um, the people that are listening different um, ways, in different ways, different experts, different people, um, and how they're getting sober, how their ideas on how to get sober, how to be a better person in this world, um, how to you know, create the person you always wanted to be. And for the last couple um, episodes, we've had a thing that I call client files. And client files are about um, people in various stages of recovery um, that have been have been through it, so to say, um, been through multiple treatment centers, have had wicked um, drug addictions. And I like I like to just to chat with them and hear about what they're going, uh, what's going on with them and where they're at now and how they got to where they're at and what it was like for him. So today we have Gabby. Gabby's been sober for two years. She's been through, uh, give or take, 14 treatment centers. Um, she was wickedly addicted to uh, heroin and meth. Um, Gabby, welcome to the show. Hi, Ross. Thanks for having me. You got it. Welcome. What? Uh, congratulations, first of all, on two years. Thank you. I'll, it's have, a, I'll have two years in February. I'm really excited. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a very big deal. It's huge. Have you ever had two years? No. No? What was the longest you ever had? Um... You mean like days and nights mm-hmm. and weekends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's the most time you put together? In one increment, about 62 days. Really? And I've been trying to get sober for about six years now. How old are you? If you don't mind me asking. I'll be 25 in about a month, so I'm 24 right now. Wow. I got sober when I was 23. Wow. Yeah. It's. I mean, we find on the scale of people, getting sober at 23 um, is young. Yeah. For a lot of people. But I didn't you, get sober till I was 30. Yeah, but I mean, when you start shooting dope at 15, it's it kind of... It's a you, lot of time. Yeah, it evens itself out, you know? Yeah. Why'd you start sh- shooting dope at 15? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was environmental or if I was, you know, born with this disease. I mean, to be honest, I don't think it, it really matters. But I, you know, at some point in my life, I felt the need to you know, cope well with using drugs and alcohol. Where are you like, from? I'm from Stockton. It's up in Northern California. Yeah. It's about an hour and a half outside the Bay Area. Yeah. And I mean, it's not a, much to do out in Stockton. Not at all. And it's a rough neighborhood too. Like where I, where I was raised, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of nothing to do, you know? Yeah. Like that's what we did for fun was use. And, um, you know, we like, 
the people my age, the people my grade, like we looked up to the people who did that sort of shit, you know, like those were our mentors when I was younger. And so like being able to go out with the older kids and drink and like go to parties with them, like if you got to that level, you were cool, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, there's so many other factors too that go along with it. I mean, not just like the area, but how I was raised, you know, my family life, kind of like the household in which I grew up, you know, I didn't have a dad growing up. Um, Did you ever know your dad? I actually found him in sobriety. I was um, not this sobriety, but in the past when I've tried to get sober, I was like on a on like a pink cloud. I had like 30 days sober, thought I could take on the world. And I found out he lived in Malibu and I just showed up at his office. I was 21 years old. Holy smokes. Yeah, he was not stoked. But um, we did he know who you were? He he recognized me immediately. Like we had never spoken. We had never. You never met him at all. At all. And like when I was 21, I because, you know, when you're when you're getting sober, especially when you're just like trying to figure out what works and what doesn't like for the longest time, I thought that this huge absence in my life, my dad, like if I just met him, it would solve so many problems and like answer so many questions and then I'd be cured. You know, like I wouldn't feel the need to drink or use because I blame it's insane yeah I blamed a lot of my alcohol it's logical though yeah to me it was you well know? I mean it's logical on a lot of things I think a lot of people you know kind of fall into that they think I need this mm-hmm. and having a father mm-hmm. would I, I my dad died when I was uh, 10 or 11 and I always thought well heck if my dad was here you know, he would, you know, he would have had an iron fist and he would have done this for me in high school and this would have happened and this would have happened yeah. I wouldn't have gone down this this weird road and my mom who was a single mom at the time who was um you know just her she didn't govern with an iron fist Mm -hmm. so you know i was able to roll over her god bless her heart um (laughs) but you know but i could i mean that's logical you know i need my dad i need closure from it either either him to give me a hug or him to say i don't want to be with you probably yeah and you know at the time i thought Like, I have no expectations on it. Like, even if he doesn't ever want to see me again, I'll be fine. But, like, at 30 days sober, you're you're not fine, you know, especially when you're still pretty insane as a person. And so I went and I met him. We had a really nice lunch. Have not seen or talked to him since. Really? And that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know. But at the time, it was, like, devastating because I had all these high expectations on, like, he's going to see me and fall in love and it's going to be great. And we're going to, like, have this reunion after, you know his long lost 21 year old daughter it was just crazy but that's how i rationalized it and but it's not crazy though it it's it's not crazy to me to hope that to hope that you're right it it was a little i mean now knowing what i know after two after having almost two years of sobriety and then like also doing a lot of work on on that like not having a dad and like what it did for me emotionally and like that absence because my mom too was a single mom and she was very lenient and like almost like more of a friend than a mom. Yeah. And she, she worked like I use drugs. Like she was addicted to work. So she was always in work mode, work mode, like in her head. Exactly. And so she might've been there, but mentally she wasn't there, you know? So it was like the only explanation for the way I was I felt at the time was the fact that I didn't have a dad I blamed all my problems on that you know and it's not crazy to think about now 
but you know, I probably should have been probably should have been stopped from just showing up at his office at, you know, mm. out of the blue. Did somebody tell you you should do that or did you just have that in your gut? I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, so I was sitting in, I was actually in rehab at the time. I was in a rehab in Malibu. I mean, it takes a lot of guts just to roll, do that. So I didn't know if it was like, I, I mean, it was just all me, man. It was like, I, it was like, you know, when people skate, I don't know if I would have the guts to just roll on somebody during like a work I day. Sitting, I would have dropped him a note, maybe a phone call, an email, yeah, something or other. I was just, yeah, I was, I was sitting in group in in my rehab at the time and then just had like this revelation of like I gotta meet him I gotta meet my dad now that I know he works down the street I'm gonna go meet him I literally left group early to hop in my car and drive down to um his place of work and I walked into his office and his secretary was like uh can I help you and I was like yeah you know I'm, I'm here to to meet whoever blah 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 and he was actually out at lunch when I showed up in his office and he gave me a call and he knew exactly like who I was. I mean, me and my mother have the same last name, so it's, yeah. but it was a trip. Wow. So, I mean, growing up, it was, it from the outside perspective, like from somebody's outside view, it might look really shitty like oh here's a here's a young girl she doesn't have a dad her mom's always gone she grew up in a shitty neighborhood of course she's gonna use drugs you know but Mm -hmm. like to me that was normal it was normal to like have to you know have always keep caution always have your eye out when you're walking the streets especially at night you know like as soon as the the street lights turned on you knew you had to be home because there was going to be some shady shit that was going down but that was like normal to me, you know, and yeah. it, w- it was normal to to use. Dr- I don't know. It was normal to use drugs just because like everybody was doing it. It was so like, you knew that was your reality. That exactly. was the reality of the town. I mean, Stockton, California. I've never been there. I've I've had um, kind of a, a distant relative that lives up in the neck of the woods, but it's just like a lot of cows, isn't it? I mean, that's like the town next to it, Stockton, in in the actual city of Stockton. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of fields. I mean, it's industrial. It's there's a like downtown Stockton is just not a place you want to be. I mean, it's a shady ghetto area. Um, yeah. a lot of gangs, a lot of gang activity, but so, I mean, it just, it kind of just like escalated really quickly for me. I started drinking and then all of a sudden I have a needle in my arm. It wasn't like a, like a, over the years, it just kind of, progressed and happened it was it happened really quick for me because like as soon as I got the taste of what alcohol and like weed felt like I I was really curious I wanted to have it all I wanted to know what it all felt like and um and yeah so I mean obviously like you you know you start doing drugs and the consequences will come progressively over time they didn't all happen at once it was fun for a while Mm -hmm. you know you graduated high school on time i did i graduated high school and i got into college on a full ride scholarship for what um academics i went to asu and got kicked out of asu but it's like that's. <laughs> I know a lot of people have been kicked out of ASU. Yeah, <laughs> it's kinda... I think I, I spent a spring break in ASU yeah. and it took ten years off my I, life. I get it, you I, know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But I mean, I I hated where I lived, so I was I did all, I always did really well in school. You know, I wanted to I wanted to get out of that town mm-hmm. as fast as possible. Wow. And um, you know, I'm the kind of person like I'm super resilient, and I was able to manage really really good back then where does the resilience come from do you think 
Um, I have to think a little bit just watching. I mean, I think it had to come from my mom. I mean, she was the only, you know, the only mentor I really had around. Do you ever have a father figure? No. I mean, I have an older brother who is, is like a father figure. How much older is he? A lot older. I'm 24 and he's 36. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, yeah, we're 12 years apart. But he was never really around either. You know, he had his own life. When I was in high school, he was, like, doing his thing in the, like, he was in his 20s, you know. He was living life. He didn't want to, like, take care of a a high school girl, you know. But, But he was the closest thing I had to a father. And... Our relationship is still kind of like that to this day, still mending over time and and stuff. But um, how are you with your mom now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're good. You know, I I thought she was like the root of all evil when I was in high school. I thought like all of my problems stemmed from her. I was the way I was because of her. I put a lot of blame on her, and um, now after growing up a little bit and and seeing like my my part and a lot of the shit that happened over time like she's an angel and she's so supportive she always has been you know a little bit of an enabler but she can't help it i don't think and but do you think a lot you got dealt a really bad deck no no even when you're in high school you didn't feel that way no i like you never had the woe was means which is I at mean, the very end of my run, I did have a little bit of the woe is me's, you know, but I was also like very homeless and, you know, without anything and in and out of jail. So, of, of course, I had the aspect of like, why, God, why is this my life, you know? But I always knew that, I mean, even in high school and even in the, even in like the shittiest state of mind, there was always like a part of me that knew that this was not the life that I was meant to live. Yeah. It was weird. I, like, don't know how to explain it. It was always just, like, a gut instinct, that intuition that told me, like, yeah, you're fucking up, and, yeah, you're doing everything wrong right now, but you're going to get yourself out of it at one point. You, you just knew have that. To, I knew it. I don't know how to explain it, but, like, Even I, in all that. Even living on Skid Row, I was like, okay, this is really horrible, and, <laughs> yeah. You, you lived on Skid Row here in L.A.? Yeah, here in L.A. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the progressive disease, man. Take how did you find your way to? I, I can't even. <laughs> I don't know how. I mean, I don't know how a girl like you finds her way to Skid Row. It's amazing. Well, I mean, I came. I came to LA to get sober, and I wasn't ready to be sober yet. I mean, I came here with all the desire to want to get clean, but it. You have to be desperate enough, you know, and that's like where my disease took me. It took me there, you know. I, I wasn't desperate enough. Yeah, I wasn't ready to be sober. I wasn't ready for this lifestyle. I was still so hooked on like the girl that I thought I was, and I was so adamant on not letting that version of me go because that was the version of me that protected me for so long from all these evils of the world. So I thought, you know, and let's. I want to talk. I gotta take a quick, a quick break. Yeah. Okay. And I want to come back and I want to talk about having to be desperate enough. Absolutely. That's that. That just made like my stomach gurgle a little bit <laughs> because it's it's nuts to be that desperate. And where you have to be, I mean, you said you're gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna hang out down here on Skid Row in a little bit, and we're gonna find out if I'm desperate enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of gnarly. It is kind of gnarly. I mean, you're a lovely young lady, 
you know, nobody can see her obviously because we're on the radio right now, but you definitely don't have a face for radio, you know, (laughs) but I mean, that's, that's gnarly. I mean, that's significant. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Gabby. Gabby's, um, has two years of sobriety from heroin and meth and, um, she is walking the walk right now. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's having a successful life and, uh, we're going to find out what, um, having to be desperate enough means. So we'll be right back. Hang in there. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to the power to create yourself with ross ramin to find out more about ross and the program visit the rebos treatment center website at rebostreatment.com now back to the power to create yourself hi welcome back to the show um we are talking with gabby gabby has got two years of sobriety from heroin and meth um were you an iv you're an iv user yes yeah yeah you're smoking meth or doing iv as well um, depends on the day. Or snorting it, I guess. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, just kind of depends. I, I mean, I had my little routine going. You know, I, I did, um, I was an IV heroin user and then 
just depending on how I felt. Most of the time I smoked meth. Occasionally I'd shoot it, but I never wanted, heroin was always like my one true love. That was what I liked the best and that's what I wanted to feel the most. So I never wanted like the meth to overpower it, you know? So sometimes shooting it was a little too gnarly. Because heroin and meth are opposite extremes here. Completely, yeah. I mean, they're not, I mean. And yet they make the perfect concoction i don't know how to explain it like they're complete opposites i mean one's a speed one's a downer i mean mm -hmm. one is full throttle and the other one's like you know you're just out (laughs) yeah i mean it i don't know what it was like i i started heroin at a really young age and i just kind of stuck with it and life was i mean this sounds crazy but life was somewhat manageable i mean i went to college after i got kicked out of asu i went to how long were you at asu for a semester not even i like could not well you were quick yeah i was not (laughs) coping well with life at the time but i i transferred to san diego state and i proceeded to go there for three years after that and oh so you went from asu to another college though yeah, I did. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I went from the number one party school to the number two party school. Logical. <laughs> right? It's logical. God. It'll be better, Mom, I swear. Yeah, exactly. It's only number two. I mean, <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. Exactly. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I tried to tell her, you know? Yeah. And she bought it. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, when I was just using heroin, I... I like went in and out of these phases where I was like, okay, I'm going to get sober. But like, of course, sober to me was just like not using heroin, but like cocaine and alcohol and all this other shit was okay. And I'd go to the methadone clinics and try it that way. And I was in and out of methadone clinics for years, which is just like a horrible way to live. And after a while you're at the methadone clinic and you see like these fucking 65 to 75 year old people waiting in line knowing that's what they've been doing their whole life and it's just like holy shit I don't want to be that person so then I would just go back to using dope again and um how, how are you getting the methadone it's you know pay for it yeah it's like 10 bucks a day where I went different places are different i mean sometimes they're free in other states and you just show up in the morning and they yeah you? you show up at the butt crack of dawn and wait in a line for your dose and it's just an awful it's awful way to live in my opinion i did that for a long time and every day every day for like i mean months at a time but different places also because i'd i'd start using heroin again even if i was going to the methadone clinic and Eventually. Did you ever sell the methadone? Yeah, I mean that's what they didn't make you watch you take it. You you could when you're when you're a good girl at the methadone clinic, they let you take home. They let you get take homes, which it means how like, do they know if you're a good girl? You just pass your drug test. You're there for you know a certain amount of time, and you oh, show, so you drug test with it? Yeah, you show them that you're committed, you know, to the program, the methadone program, and you see your you see like a case manager, and you know eventually they decide whether or not you you know you've been cooperative enough to get take-homes and as soon as i got to that point it was like okay Game they home. trust me now i'm gonna you know sell this shit and do what i want to really take them to do. trust you um about four or five months right. yeah that's not four or five days no it's it's yeah it's it, decent it's decent right i got it and um but i mean the methadone clinic's a joke you can it took you four or five months for them to trust you to take your own heroin by yourself basically because that's what methadone it is yeah exactly i think and a lot of people don't get that no they don't i have a lot of people that come in here all the time they come to treatment and i got a lot of moms a lot of dads husbands wives and they're like oh we could put you know we could put so-and-so our loved one on methadone and it'll be fine this is what it is i'm like i'm like what what is going on and i i get so 
I get so jammed up by it because <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to think of the logic here. I'm like, so you're going to have to wait in the line in the morning. It's. And you're going to have a couple pills, couple, how, you know, little cup of medicine, basically. I'm thinking this is how I picture it in my head because I've never been to one. That's pretty much how it is. Only it's liquid, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's a little liquid cup type thing. And we're going to, this is, you know, this thing's going to tell me how to live my life. It's crazy. It's, it's exact. It's basically like going to a clinic in the morning and having them distribute your heroin shot. If you think about it, it's like just go, it, you are not living your life. You're living your life based on the hours of the methadone clinic from five to nine in the morning. You can go. And it's just like, holy shit. And after a while, it's like, I do not want to fucking live like this like it's i'd rather be hustling for dope and like do it on my own time than have to you know it's basically going from like red wine to white wine (laughs) essentially yeah Yeah. i used to go through i when i used to drink i used to think if i drank clear alcohol like vodkas as -hmm. opposed to whiskeys it was classier and i was less of a drunk (laughs) if i drank the clear booze as opposed to it, I was like, I thought that would be better. Yeah. So champagnes and white wines and all that type of stuff. I was like, this will be better. It looks classier. Yeah, I went through that phase too. Mm. Like, if I don't smoke meth and I just snort coke, I'm just like every other white girl, you know? It's fine. <laughs> God, it's unbelievable. Let's get back to what you said before we went on the break. Have to be desperate enough. I mean, what does that mean? Because as we listen, as, as I listen to your conversation, and I'm sure as people are listening to the conversation on the radio right now are listening to it, they're like, okay, so she's going to, um, you know, a methadone clinic every morning, telling her who to be, you know, basically getting her little, her little, little medicine mm-hmm. every day. And, you know, she got kicked out of college after one semester. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably didn't even take one semester, probably took you a few weeks, but you just stayed for the whole semester anyway. Yeah. I went to like four classes. Good job. That's it. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, you're, you know, you started doing all this when you're 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're 15, you get decent grades in, in high school that, which gets you a scholarship to go to college at a decent school, granted a party school, but a decent school, mm-hmm. get it. And then, um, so then you, you fail out of there. You go to another school at San Diego, you do what you got to do there. You're on methadone. You're, you're through 14 treatments and, then you're living on Skid Row, which is actually a real place in downtown Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, and where they've got tents set up, cardboard boxes. Terrifying. It's like, it is gnarly. Cardboard boxes, tents, homeless people. The whole thing is homeless. It's a homeless like commune village down mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowhere where somebody like you should be, or right. anybody should be for that matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a sad, sad sad place it really is and people choose to live there and you and as people would listen to all this they would say well where's the common sense clicking in that's like have to be desperate enough like you can't go through all that and be desperate enough mm-hmm. so what what i what's guess desperate enough see and that's the thing about this disease in my opinion it's like common sense does not exist when it comes to battling this disease especially when you have you know, the drug or the drink in in your body at the time, like all common sense is out the window. Like I am completely powerless over where it takes me. And you're powerless over common sense or you're powerless, powerless over the drug and the drink, like and and the places it takes me, you know, I, I can't. It's hard for me to control what I do when I'm under the influence. Mm. And that's just like the sad 
reality of it and you know being desperate enough to me is like it took me a long time it took me 14 treatment centers for it to click did I learn anything in those treatment centers absolutely like you pick up things here and there along the way but my belief is like until a person is absolutely ready mentally spiritually emotionally ready to change their life because changing your life is asking a lot of somebody it's asking a whole lot of somebody and until you're ready to completely throw every idea that you've ever learned out the window to learn a new way of life you have to in my opinion get to that point of you know being desperate enough in order to in order to do so and for me that like you know I heard a lot in the rooms you you have to hit a bottom I don't believe in that. I don't believe that somebody has a bottom. Because, really? Me either. Yeah. No, Tell me more. Because, I mean... I hate, I hate it when people are like, you haven't hit your bottom yet. Yeah, and I hate that because, you know, as as a drug addict, my bottom is six feet under. If you really want me to hit a bottom, I could fucking use until I'm under the ground. Like, that's how I get. And it's not like, you know, you need to use until you hit a bottom. There is no such thing as a bottom I for drug digging. addicts and alcoholics. Yeah, we keep digging. That's I, the problem. I'm like, we have the, the only tool we have is the sharpest shovel on the planet. <laughs> and six feet's not enough. No. I mean, I was I was tens, I mean, thousands of feet down from the way. I mean, literally, I'm going to China. I'm digging <laughs> to China. Yeah. I'm literally digging to China. And... I always tell people, like, he hasn't hit his bottom yet, you know. It's just little Johnny hasn't hit his bottom. And I say, little Johnny is in a hole, and he went right through the six-feet bottom floor. I mean, he went in a coffin and dug himself out of the coffin, and he didn't go up. He kept going down. Exactly, man. And that's what was so, like, you know, I started. It gets worse. It gets so much worse. And I, you know, I was going into meetings, and, like, there's a lot of good stuff that they say. And then there's these things that they say that just confuse people. Like, you haven't hit your bottom yet. Okay, well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm 20 years old and I'm still shooting dope and meth, and I'm like, okay, well, when, when am I gonna hit my bottom? Because right now I feel like I can manage, you know, I got my I got my car still, got my own house, whatever. When, my where, act is together. Yeah, where is this bottom, <laughs> you know? And then I move up to LA and I, you know, I go to my first treatment center in 2000. <laughs> I've got track marks. I'm just picturing yeah, it. Yeah, and I've like, got track marks up my arm. I am killing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like 80 pounds and I'm awesome. I'm picking Look how hot every I am. orifice of my body, picking myself. <laughs> I am so hot right now. Crazy. I know, man. Look at all these dudes looking at me. It's I'm, insane. Look at me. I'm just the prettiest thing on the planet. God, it's <laughs> so crazy. And like, I don't know, man. I had to get to that point where I was, I went through this like merry-go-round, this like, this you know, I was stuck in this limbo of, you know, going into a treatment center, not wanting to be sober, leaving, getting high, knowing I could go back into treatment and always using that as an out. Like, okay, I'm going to go use for a little bit. And then when I'm ready, I'll go I back into too, treatment. I yeah. I think I did that too. And a lot of people do. And that's the problem is like, you know, we, maybe I'm just realizing that now. Yeah. Like maybe I, I did that a little bit. And that's why I went to so many is because. Did I, you think you always had a problem every time you went to treatment? Oh yeah. I was, I was. So never you had ig- that. Yeah. I was never ignorant to the fact that I was an addict. I always knew. I was like, <laughs> people don't just shoot heroin in their arm. It's not normal. I mean, I, I get like people did a little bit of coke in the 80s and shit, but like nobody just shoots dope. And it's is not recreational. Per- yeah, is a normal person, you know. I'm just gonna shoot shoot some heroin. It's totally recreational. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Don't mind these tracks up my arm. Don't and mind it, you know. <laughs> was a little bud dripping down my arm. Oh, no big deal. I'll just wet that off. Oh I'll be God. right back. I, so it'll be fine. It was, I'll just go to work today. It'll be good. I was in a sorority once for like three months, and I was in the bathroom of the sorority house uh, shooting dope. And mind you, all my sorority sisters drank like fishes and snorted coke like there was no tomorrow. 
one of them walked in on me when I was shooting dope in the bathroom. And like my, my thinking was like, well, you guys drink and do Coke. Like, why can't I do this? They're like, no, that's, (laughs) that's not fucking normal. You got to get out. And I was like, oh, okay. But you know, that kind of stuff is like, it's not recreational. Like you said, it's not what People they're they're all taboo in a sense, but it's like, I mean, just your common sense mind of what you deemed was common sense. Well, if you're doing coke, which, you know, I get it, but it's, no, you know, it's the all, needles are it's, gnarly. It's all bad, especially when you have the thinking that I have, you know, it's all fucking bad. But when it comes to desperation, I mean, you know, they say you have a moment of clarity. I feel like I got a lot of those and I just chose to ignore them. And then finally, it got to the point where I was so broken. And for me, my bottom wasn't like losing all the external shit because all of that had been long gone for a long time. And that's how I ended up on Skid Row. Like for a long time, I was just living in my car, you know, around Santa Monica or around West Hollywood. I would just find places to park and live in my car. And then eventually I got... Did your mom know you were living in your car? Yeah. And it she would occasionally like be super hesitant to give me money to stay in a motel but always knowing that if she did give me money that I would never waste it on a hotel I would buy dope with it and so eventually my mom had to come to the point and it took her a long time to do so that she had to cut me off completely like stop picking up my phone calls from jail stop bailing me out stop giving me money not that she had that much to begin with like we did not grow up you know having a lot of things like that but I mean, it got to the point where I was completely on my own. And I think that's when shit started clicking for me. The moment that I was cut off from everybody, I mean, I had no friends. The only friends I had were the four walls in my fucking bathroom, you know, where I used to go to do drugs. And then eventually I lost that. And the only friends you had were the four walls in your bathroom. <laughs> you know, that was, was the saddest thing I've heard in a long time. That was the spot. And eventually that was gone too. And my mom you know, had to cope with and had to accept the fact that her daughter was like pretty much dead. And my brother hadn't talked to me in years at this point. And I got arrested and my car got towed. And that's when... Why'd you get arrested? Possession. Every time I got arrested, it was either theft or possession or possession with intent to sell. And I had, I obviously did not have a job. So the only thing I could do was either sell myself or sell drugs. That's how I got my money. And, um, Sell yourself or sell drugs? Yeah, pretty much. And it's like you get, if your using gets bad enough, those decisions just seem logical. Like like there's nothing wrong with them. And that's scary to me. The fact that, you know, I grew up having so many, so many morals and having value for myself and being a strong, independent woman. And then all of a sudden along the line, I lost all of that. And... You know, my car got towed when I was in jail. I was left my own devices. I slept in a tent on Skid Row with my drug dealer because all my other drug dealers, <laughs> listen to this, all my other drug dealers wouldn't sell me drugs because they all thought I had a problem. You know, and it's like when your drug dealer is telling you that you have a problem, you probably have a fucking problem. That happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's that like, it's weird. It's when he's weird. like, dude, you're a mess. He's like, you look bad. You have a problem. And I was like, what? And that's. It's so weird oh when that happens, man. And God, it's such a dark, 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 dark world that we lived in. I mean, it's just like wild. I listened to your story. My heart just like, 
I mean, every time I talk to people like yourself and I just, just sit down and talk about it, you know, it's there's so many similarities. Yeah. It's just like of where we get and where the logic is and just it's tough. Listen, I want to take a quick break. Um, we got to take one more and I want to get back and I want to talk about getting out of this hole. Okay. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. This is Ross Ramin. Um, um, you can find out more information about us today um, on what we're doing at uh, Rebos, R-E-B-O-S, treatment.com. We're talking with Gabby. Gabby's two years sober from heroin and meth. 
Um, she was an avid IV user. Um, Gabby, you have lived in cars. You have sold. You have sold yourself. You have sold things. You have lived on Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. Um, you have done some things that you're probably not really thrilled about. Um, I get it, and I say that with love and respect. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you're two years sober. You have a job. Mm-hmm. You're walking the line. Um, you're you're kind of a leader for a lot of a lot of people that are you know in the you know you have two years. People that have two days. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I saw you when you first started. I mean, you were, and I say this with a lot of love and a lot of respect, very gnarly. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, but there was always a light in you. You always you had a lot of fire in you. You always wanted it to be something better. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said a couple of things to me since we've been talking that have literally um, have sh- you know have shaken me up a little bit because it really brings me back to where I was, and also just where I see a lot of people on a daily basis. I always tell people, um, I remember my mom died about a little over a year ago and she said, how's work? And I just remember coming, calling her one day or she had called me and I said to her, I said, you know, I travel in a really dark, dark world. Mm-hmm. You know, we see people on a daily basis that, um, that just are literally killing themselves. I mean, it's like, they're literally cutting their own heads off mm-hmm. or they're literally pouring gasoline on themselves and lighting them themselves on fire just with old behaviors mm-hmm. it's like gasoline of old behaviors yeah old attitudes old ways um we see people that come in here on a daily basis that are like i don't want to be a drug addict anymore i don't want to be a drunk anymore i want to be a productive person in society and yet they still do the same thing over again mm-hmm. and you had said something that before that I don't find many people that um, um, that have kind of the same thought that I do on it. It's bottom. Mm-hmm. I firmly do not believe in hitting a bottom. Yeah. Bottom it can go as far as you want it to go. I was dealing with a family last night on the phone. They're like, our son just hasn't hit, you know, blah, blah, hasn't hit, um, hit his bottom yet. And I said, you guys have to stop thinking like that because – bottom it'll happen anywhere you don't have to be i mean i i was like you i was like i'm gonna try to find bottom and then i'll want to quit i remember hearing a guy he goes i just drank until i was so sick of drinking and that's when i stopped i was like that sounds like a plan i'm gonna do that but i'm gonna do it with cocaine because drinking i could take or leave (laughs) didn't bother me cocaine i remember buying nine thousand dollars jesus of cocaine (laughs) of powdered cocaine nine thousand dollars I am going to get so sick of this. So I snorted some of it and then I, and then I cooked some in the, in a spoon mm-hmm. to make crack out of it. Cause I always, I always made my own crack. I never bought crack. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where to do that. I, everybody where I was doing it, we would, we would make it ourselves, take a little baking soda, you light it up and then you'd actually know the purity of it. And it became, I would think I was probably like six grand into the nine grand worth of cocaine. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, I am not sick of this. I, I am, I'm not even high right now. And excuse my French. I, I, I said, there's a difference between being high and being fucked up. Mm-hmm. Fucked up is when you see keep when you see things that don't exist. Yeah. You hallucinate. You, you think the police are coming into your house when they're really not. Getting high is a fun thing. That's like, there's a buzz. You know, I get a high when I snow ski. I get a high when I used to have a motorcycle driving up PCH here in California with the Pacific Ocean on your left side. And it's, the sun's going down. That's a high. That's yeah. like smiles and tingly goodness. 
fucked up is when every hair hurts on your body, you know, and it's like stuff's not going right. It it realized to me, and then I went to jail that week, mm. coincidentally. Coincidentally. <laughs> I it just no, it was. The week that I was trying to find my own bottom, I went to jail that week. Um, and I think I found bottom there because I was realizing I'm like because when I got out of jail, I went and bought more dope. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, not even jail. There is no bottom. This will go till I'm dead. Yeah. Or I want to make a decision to stop it. And I remember thinking that I'm in this hole. And when I went into treatment for my last time, it's like, and I want to know your thoughts on it. I was like, all you got to do is climb out of it. And I remember a guy, a, a counselor saying, I'm reaching my arm down to grab you. And I said to him, I said, you, I said, this hole's too deep, dude. You can't grab me. Mm-hmm. I have to climb up high enough that you can help me out at the last part of it. He goes, and he was kind of shocked by that. I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget that day. And I remember I had made a makeshift in my mind, a makeshift rope ladder mm-hmm. that I don't know how I got the rope, probably from the weed, the roots that I, you know, because I'm digging a hole in the ground. So there's a lot of roots and made something together. And this is just how I was picturing it. It was like, it was rickety. It was hard. And just because I wanted to get out of there doesn't mean I could wish myself out of the hole. Yeah. What, 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 where were you? How'd you get out of your hole? Um, it wasn't easy. But nobody ever said it was going to be. So they just said it was going to be worth it. And I think I was I was sitting in a car and I was waiting outside of treatment out of like another rehab center. And the whole time I was just thinking about like, God damn it. Like, I do not want to do this all over again. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm so tired of running and I'm exhausted and you know, I've I've lost everything, but not just everything externally, like internally. I lost myself. I lost my self-value, all my morals. I had no idea who I was. My identity had flown out the window years ago. And it's just like once I kind of sat with myself for a minute with my thoughts and kind of realized all of this. And I looked in the mirror and I did not know who was looking back at me. I could not recognize the girl at all. And I was just kind of like damn dude you are worth so much more than this and the fact that you you know you've had so many chances and you've slapped them in the face of grace and here you are once again at 23 years old with fucking nothing to show and it just kind of like I had to make that decision that I was just tired of running I knew what getting loaded looked like I knew what that life was like I didn't know what being sober was like, and I was terrified of it. You know, we are all terrified of the unknown or whatever, but I knew that I did not want to be getting high anymore. That life had run its course for me. Like I I knew the kind of person I was when I was getting loaded. I knew the things I did and I didn't want that anymore. Did I necessarily want to be sober? Not really, but I was willing to explore like what what it had to offer for me. And that's when I took the first step and I got out of the car and I walked back into yet another rehab facility. And I was extremely angry for a long fucking time just because I was angry because I kind of accepted the fact I did accept the fact that I could never use drugs successfully. And I had to say goodbye to my one best friend, which was heroin. I had to say bye because it was no longer relationship yeah it was a boyfriend yeah 
she was my ride or die for sure. My my boyfriend, love of my life, my best friend, everything, yeah, family. BFF. Ex- my BFF, exactly. She was my ride or die. She always had my back, but she was killing me. Yeah. And like, so I just, you know, I I woke up every day and I like hated life and I hated myself, but eventually you get out of it. If, if you're willing to stick through the pain, you know, there is, as they say, like always a light on the other side if yeah. you're willing to stick through it like a lot of people when they start getting sober and they're like okay this is too painful I can't do it well I had experienced more pain than I ever could while I was using and like I knew what that was like and I was not willing to fucking go back to that life and then redo it all over again just to want to get sober you know I was gonna do it this time I was I had the gift of desperation like I said earlier I was desperate to find something more than what I had experienced in, you know, the last eight years of getting loaded and not having a life. Too desperate to, to write a new chapter, so to say. Absolutely, you know, and I just kind of, you know, what what did I do? I, I did what other people told me to do. You know, if you had more time than me, I was going to listen to you because I had clearly proven to myself that I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to stay sober because if I knew how to stay sober, I would have been able to the first time. And I didn't. So I had to listen to the people who knew what they were talking about. I think that is so critical for people to understand that, you know, when they first get sober, this isn't just a light switch where you turn it on and off. Mm -mm. You know, becoming physically sober is one thing. It's staying sober. That's the hard part. Yeah, it's the emotional side of it. Because you physically don't trip and fall into a random pile of heroin. Mm -mm. You just don't. As cool as that might sound for some people Mm -hmm. at certain times in their life, it just doesn't happen. You know, I couldn't find it. It's ridiculous. Um, This is such an emotional side of it because your beliefs get the better of you. Mm -hmm. Your attitude gets the better of you. Um, Your actions get the better of you, which all of those things, once they mess with your emotions, because emotions is what happens when people relapse. Mm -hmm. They get the better of you. An emotion gets too hot. Whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, you know, it's highs or lows, that triggers a physical want. Absolutely. And I always tell people, it's like you have to, you, you cannot get over intoxicated by your emotions in this world. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's like 15 minutes of fame. No one the hell to get out. Mm-hmm. Don't don't milk your 15 minutes. Because 16 minutes, you start looking like a fool. Mm-hmm. 15 minutes or under. So that person's having a great time. They're making a little money. They're getting a little publicity. They're having a great time and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but it's so critical when that comes down. I wouldn't, honest to God, I go through my day. Once, I wish I would have found this out earlier because one of the things that drove me nuts about treatment when I was going through it, and I figured this out on my own, not even my last treatment center told me this. It was always a, it was always, there's like, tell us about your triggers. And it was always a physical place. Yeah. Which I think is right on. But I think there's a, but I think it's, I think they needed to reword it and said, think about your emotional triggers because emotional triggers can be physical places old homes people and all that Mm -hmm. but to think about it as an emotion because that stirs the emotion absolutely when the emotion gets the better of you you're screwed yep you're totally screwed your mind is your worst enemy sometimes that shit like i i had the same problem you know with my emotional triggers it was like it wasn't the actual place because now i can go to those places and be fine yeah you know it's it's 
how I used to perceive them. In and my I can't head. even, I can go to those places at times, mm-hmm. but I, I sometimes I just dip my toe in a second. Yeah. I got to yeah, dip yeah. it in because it's, and I know that I can dip my toe in for a second. Yeah. I mean, you and I, we've got pretty wild jobs. So we have to kind of, you know, we have to help some people and go to, into a weird place where they're at. Yeah. So we have to dip our toe in and then you run out. It's like you got your <laughs> like, you know, you know, covert ops gear exactly. on, you know, your head's all ripped <laughs> up and you don't touch anything in, out, let's go. In Firemen out. carry them over, whoever it is. Exactly. Um, no, it's really wild what, what our heads will tell us, what we're unwilling to do and what we find is logical in this world um you know it's 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 pretty nuts it's pretty nuts um anything else you got to say about yourself i mean just about sobriety in general it's it's you know a lot of people because this is what tripped me out for so many years was that i had no idea the life that i was going to be given in sobriety versus the life i knew like it was like you know when i was getting loaded I felt like a, you know, I, I knew, I knew the routine of the day. I knew what was coming and like, I knew how to handle it. In sobriety, I was so nervous and scared because I had no idea what life was going to bring me. Little did I know that, you know, although yeah, life is life. Sometimes it can be hard, but it's so worth it. It's such a better, more fulfilling life than getting loaded could ever be. I wish they had a Yelp app for sobriety (laughs) because we will go on Yelp and listen to total strangers give four or five stars for the best sushi or cheeseburger place on the planet. Right. What, you know, and you listen to all these people line up like my life is incredible right now with sobriety and this is great. I just got a job. I'm making more money than I ever had. My whole family loves me. My golden retriever is back letting me pet him now. (laughs) He lets me share the tennis ball with them. Mm -hmm. We're having this great time and I give it five stars. You know, and, and it's like we go on Yelp and we'll listen to strangers about, you know, some sushi place or some cheeseburger place Mm -hmm. wherever it is but people all around us i think it really shows kind of the just you know what uh, loved ones that are listening out there be patient with your loved ones that are going through addiction make sure you hold a a firm line though Mm -hmm. you know letting go doesn't mean you don't care like your mom had to do like my family had to do Mm -hmm. but you also don't give up you know, you you got to do what you got to do and protect yourself as loved ones of an addict or an alcoholic. But don't give up on them. Say lots of prayers for them. Wish them the best. Um, I want to thank you so much, Gabby, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Ross. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate it. This you, was awesome. You got it. You got it. Um, you can find out more about Rebos Treatment uh, Program at Rebos, R-E-B-O-S, Treatment. Uh, dot com. Uh, my name is Ross Ramin. Um, if you'd like to get um, in touch with me, you can email me at ross at r-e-b-o-s-t-x dot com, and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Hope you guys have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.